I am uh, <clears throat> wanting to turn you this morning to Psalm. I'm sorry. I'll get there in a minute. To Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Verse 17. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. He said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. Lord, I thank and praise you today for the word of God and for the anointing that we feel in the house today. And I ask God for your continued blessing and anointing upon us as we go into the word together. In Jesus' precious name. Let the church say, in Jesus' name. Jesus Greet some folks as you're being seated. Welcome into the house of God this morning. My message is entitled Empowered, and this is the fourth in a series of messages that I promise to bring to you designed to open up our understanding to the unique opportunities we have for freedom related to our position in Christ Jesus. It began a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night with a message entitled Beaten, Bruised, and Broken, and then The Weights and Measurements of God. Well, last Wednesday's message was the cup in the hand of the Lord. And today, it is empowered. This is meant to close the thought cycle on where we've been going and dealing uh, in spiritual matters. And this is a very deep spiritual sermon this morning. Something is going on in the spirit world, and it makes this message timely. In the last few weeks, no less than four or five different people has shared with me some strange and exciting experiences. All these experiences were spiritual, and they ranged from the positive God-induced kind to the negative energy, spiritually dark side. In dreams, in visions, and in trance-like states, God has confirmed some, while others have experienced dark, sinister attacks by shadow entities causing great fear and alarm. So I know something is afoot. Spiritually, the world is shaken. Our world is shaking. I, I look at it as a good and a positive thing on both accounts because we live in a supernatural world. We live in a spiritual world that is 
more real than we can possibly imagine. If you've read the Bible and believe it, you know that there are powers, principalities, and spiritual forces in this world that range from the heavenly host of God's good angels that are messengers from God and our protecting spirits to demonic and dark and sinister forces of evil whose only intention is to cause fear and harm and destruction to God's creation. So this, and, uh, and it's this and other matters that I, I wish to address today. And to quote from Larry Lee in Engaging the Enemy, edited by C. Peter Wagner, in Lee's chapter entitled, Binding the Strong Man, he says, and I quote, a war is going on for our nation today. A war is being fought for our metropolitan areas, our great cities across this land. There's a war raging for our churches, for our families, and for us personally. It's a war in the spirit realm, and this is the challenge you face. The devil has sent messengers, strong principalities and powers, to stand against you and to keep you from being and doing all that God has called you to be and do. Wagner says in his introduction to this book, Understanding brings hope. Our ancient adversary can be overcome. We need to lift ourselves out of a self-centered spirituality, a mentality that says we are victims rather than warriors. And so it is to this that I wish to bring your attention and to give you the means to take charge of your spiritual destiny and of your life. Because it is not only a spiritual destiny that we deal with, but what goes on in our life is directly affected by the spiritual quality that we bring to the table. We as Christians, and we come together to church to be ministered to, we come together for teaching, for preaching, we come together for help. Uh, we are trying to build our spiritual self, to, to make our inner man our strong man in the Lord. Just does not come without its struggles and battles. We being human, frail in our human component, we deal uh, with our natural world in so many natural ways. As you know, we each have something called the five senses. The five senses. Seeing, hearing, touch, taste, and smell. But in reality, we have a sixth sense as well. Everyone has this sixth, sixth sense, and that is spirituality. Our spirituality allows us to perceive things in the supernatural that cannot be proven in the scientific model. But it is a reality that, that we all can have experiences in supernatural things, and it happens all the time and all over the world. I read all kinds of reports and listen to reports from people around the world who have encounters with dark spiritual forces, shadow figures, men, women who invade their bedrooms at night 
and bring with them a spirit of fear, paralyzing them and making them unable for them to move or speak for the moments, uh, seconds and moments over which these spirits are reigning in control of their lives. There are other visions and things that people have outside, uh, in the outside world that range from UFOs to Bigfoot to uh, chupacabras to uh, black dogs to black cats to all kinds of mystical things that they are seeing. The reality is they are not seeing real physical organic things, although they do not know that and do not recognize that. But what they are seeing are real experiences. They are seeing things that are spiritual. And so there's so much occult going on in the world today. And if you doubt any of this, consider <coughs> uh, the rise of the occult activity around the world. Uh, I read uh, from an article that was published in 2011 about Romanian witches. And in this part of the world, angry witches are using excrement, cat excrement, and dead dogs to cast spells on the president and on the government because the, the government has defined witchcraft as a real job, not just as a supernatural hobby, but as a real job. If they make money from their activity, then they are supposed to pay taxes. And the witches are mad at the government, forcing them to pay taxes. And so they are casting spells against the government. And the government's taking it seriously. The president there is not laughing it off. It's a country where superstition is mainstream. The president and his aides and candidates often wear purple on Thursdays to ward off evil spirits because it is held there that mauve is a, uh, the, that color is a particular spiritual vibration that is a positive one, a good force to ward off evil spirits. And so they actually are are doing things like that. And, and magic in Romania is no laughing matter. The centuries-old superstitions are rife and are tolerated even by the Orthodox Church, to which more than four-fifths of Romanians belong. Uh, the president and different uh, of, of his cabinet members actually have hired witches to, to help them and to, and to fight for them. So uh, for them, it is a very serious matter the idea of witchcraft. And it is, it, it is in this part of Europe particularly, uh, that which was uh, formerly known as the uh, Eastern Bloc of, uh, of, United, of the USSR, of Russia, uh, back before the, the uh, fall of the wall, uh, that part of the country uh, has always been a center for uh, paranormal activities and sightings. And so uh, there is a lot going on uh, that, that deals with these kinds of things. And it's, it's, in a, it's a kind of a frightening world uh, for many people because they've had experiences. I, 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 I know that when somebody says they've had an experience, we can say, well, that was your experience. I don't know that I believe it. But when you've had a, an experience and you know you've had that experience, it's hard, it's hard to not believe it, happened to you. Uh, we who have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit know the reality of it. 
the Holy Ghost invaded us. It invaded us. It came inside of us and caused us to speak with other tongues. But there are people who see things that there is no rational explanation for. Uh, our uh, culture uh, is immersed in scientism and regards superstition and mythology as just uh, mere uh, ancient stuff because people didn't know better. They didn't they weren't, didn't have the scientific knowledge and they didn't know better. But I'm convinced that by what is happening today that many of the uh, things that people from the ancient times experienced and drew pictures of and made statues and images of were based on just as much real experiences that they had in the supernatural as people are having today. We know from the Bible that in the last days, the spirit of the Antichrist would be let loose and would be working in the world and spiritual activity would increase. We know from the book of Revelation that the uh, false prophet and the Antichrist are going to have power to do signs and lying wonders, even bringing down fire from heaven in the witness of people. We know that from the book of Revelation that strange things come out of rivers of waters and out of the mouths of people, spirits like frogs and other angels that are in the waters and bind the waters. So there are many types of mystical experiences that people are having uh, from the so-called Loch Ness Monster, which is probably nothing more than a water spirit that is known to appear in lakes and streams across the world. And uh, these water spirits are uh, more or less frequent in the lochs of Scotland uh, and other places where the ancient Celts actually sacrificed horses and humans to the, to the deities in the lakes and in the streams. They have their sightings of something called Kelpies, which look like horses coming out of the water. And when they interact with humans who see them, want to pull the humans into the waters to their death by drowning. So it is a spiritual attack that means to cause a person to commit suicide uh, by this oppressive force that comes against their mind. There are many of these types of things. If you go back to ancient so-called mythology, you have unicorns, flying horses with horns. You have all kinds of half-men and half-beast types of appearances. But if you're not researching these things today, people are seeing things like this today. They see huge black dogs with red eyes that approach them and then stand on their hind feet as a human and walk away and disappear. They see big feet. People think that there's such a thing as a Bigfoot. If there were any such a thing as a Bigfoot, we would have found their bones. There's enough people in the world today that we would have come across them, that we would have found them, that we discovered them. Although they search for them everywhere and sightings here and there pop up, there is no such thing as an organic Bigfoot. But there are spirits that roam the dark places of the world the deserts. Jesus spoke of spirits being cast out into the dry places in the deserts. In the Old Testament, when they had uh, offered up for atonement, they brought two goats. One was killed 
and that would be the, the goat sacrifice for the atonement, and the blood of the dead goat would be sprinkled on a living goat. And that living goat would be led by the bravest person in Israel into the desert to be given to the spirit called Azazel. It was an evil spirit. And that man would take that goat as far as he dared to go and leave it wandering in the desert to Azazel. What they were doing was taking all the sins that had been demonically inspired that the Israelites had done for which they were wishing atonement, putting that burden upon the scapegoat, and that's where the term scapegoat comes from, and they would take that scapegoat back to the dry places and back to the spirits from which the intention of sin originally had come. I don't think that we would get involved in sin if we lived in an innocent state and were unaware of it. I think if we were totally innocent, didn't know anything about sin, didn't have any opportunity to have it available to us or be tempted by it, I don't think we would be involved in it. So we know that a large part of the human interaction with things that are wrong and defy the will of God in our lives come because of the availability of that sin. And I would, I would support that argument by saying that during the millennial reign of Christ, when the church comes back to rule and reign on the earth with Christ, that he rules this world with a rod of iron, and that sin is controlled uh, and, and limited and, and outlawed and made illegal, and there is a sustaining force from the people of God fighting against the opportunity to sin, and because of that, peace will reign on the earth for a thousand years, humans will live very long lives, there will be very little sickness, and there will be blessing and peace and harmony the world over. Why? Simply because, not that sin is not existent, but because it has been severely limited by the forces of God ruling this world literally with a rod of iron. We know that the more wicked our generation comes, the more opportunities for sin there are, the more people are going to fall into sin. It challenges the church as never before. Whereas 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, there were certain sins that just almost never came into the church. Today, the church is full of those sins. And there doesn't seem to be any stopping it or any power to withhold it. And one of the reasons is because our culture is permeated with the ideology of permissiveness, of sexuality, of drugs, of alcohol, of all types of, of sin and invitation to sin. And all this stuff looks natural and normal and everyone else is doing it. And it's hard for the church to keep it at bay and to back away from it and to stop having interaction with it because we're immersed in a culture that pounds our five senses day and night. One author wrote a book. I read it years ago. I wished I had had the time to research it, give you the book and the author, but it's a very great book. It's a metaphor, actually. It's kind of in the style of Pilgrim's Progress, but this author writes about uh, uh, the soul. It's about the human soul, but he likens the soul to a city, a city surrounded by strong and powerful walls, 
but those walls are penetrated by gates. There are five main gates in that city. The eye gate, the ear gate, the tongue gate, so forth and so on. They are the five senses. And as you read the story of this city under attack, it's being besieged by the enemy on the outside. It's surrounded by the enemy and being besieged and attacked by the enemy. And the enemy will make various assaults on the gates of that city. And they will change in time. And uh, one assault may come from, from the ears and it will be a powerful assault. And if he cannot make the gate, if he cannot get entry through the gate, he will try another powerful assault through the eye. And it will be a powerful assault. Consider King David as he lounged upon his barker lounger when he should have been at war. And the beautiful Bathsheba, whom he happened to see and lay his eyes on, he was minding his own business and everything was fine. But there came a powerful assault on the gate of his eyes. And unfortunately, that assault prevailed. And it penetrated to his mind. And it got into his mind and he took steps and he took actions that invaded his soul and invaded his city. And there would be a breach into the human soul when this gate is penetrated and left open and left ajar. There are many ways that Satan can get inside of people. The occult activity is one of them. And uh, drugs and alcohol are other ways that people, that Satan can get inside. Human sexuality is a big gate for the entry of Satan. It's a big gate. And he plays that very well. And so uh, I, I bring to you the story of a young man uh, whose name was Kevin. And, and his story is one of, it's very, very sad. His, his dad, who had had the, he was told had the Holy Ghost, died when he was only two years of age. If his dad had not died, he might have grown up in, a, in, a, in the Pentecostal church and, and been fine, but, but it wasn't that kind of a life for him. And as a teenager, he got involved uh, <clears throat> in marijuana. Marijuana brought with it a powerful spirit of depression. He lived for six years, he says, under the weight of oppression. He became an introvert, a shadow in the world of darkness disappeared from the kids in school. They stopped tormenting him because they stopped noticing that he was even there. He just dropped out. And uh, it aided his mind, he said, dragging me into greater darkness. I began seeing demons and visions of hell. I thought I was going insane. And, uh, and depression set in. He finally gave up marijuana, but he went from bad to worse because he replaced it with the devil's toy box, the occult. He got... He went from that into getting into the occult. And he says this, I had no idea what forces I was playing and dabbling with. At that time, I did not know there are some doors that only God should be allowed to open. And the darkness within me became more and more intense as I continued to open my mind and heart to Satan's influence. He said that nightmares would hit him out of the blue. He had vile visions of his best friends and family members possessed by demons. Many times I dreamed of my own possession. Hellfire and brimstone filled my nights. 
To escape this, I tried staying active and only slept out of sheer exhaustion. And it was nonstop partying, drinking, drugging, partying. It went from bad to worse. He finally had reached a point where even his closest friends had turned on him and he was depressed, suicidal. Um, he finally just said, if I'm going to seek an answer from God. If, if God can help me, if there's a God can help me out of this, I'm going to find him. And so it was Orange, Texas, my hometown, my mother's hometown. Orange, Texas is where this occurred. And there was a little Baptist church there that always had a sign, a sign, a scripture verse or something out there on their sign. And he felt like if he would go by that Baptist church, God would speak to him through the sign message and he would have a sign from God that God was trying to speak to him. And he went by the Baptist church and that day there was no message on the sign. And he stood outside and just yelled at God, you know, look, you know, you know, I, I need to hear from you and you're not speaking to me. I might as well just stay in the darkness that I'm in. So his life was terrible. But he went to another town. He was going by another church and it was a United Pentecostal church and they were having uh, they were having a, 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 a play, uh, an Easter play, and outside of the church, people were dressed in costume, you know, inviting cars to come in, and he saw the costumes, and so he pulled over and he went in, and he went in and he watched this passion play, and uh, Christ being accused and, and being beaten and scourged and being crucified, and, and the cry, crucify him, crucify him, and something got a hold of his heart. It touched him. Amen. And suddenly, amen, he, he realized what he'd been doing to Jesus and conviction set in and was only within a matter of a few weeks after that that he came and received the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name, gave his life to the Lord and was spirit filled. But I, the point that I'm trying to make here is that there are activities that open the door for spiritual invasion in our hearts and our lives. We can leave the gate ajar. The Bible says to make no place for the devil. Make no place for the devil. Don't give place for the devil. Another scripture talks about sins that so easily beset us. Our setting, besetting sins. Now there is a tremendous role in temptation and the causation of evil in human lives and human experiences. Whether or not it is the temptation we suffer that opens a door for spiritual invasion that invites forces into our lives or that someone else related to us in some way opened a door of temptation and their sinful actions caused hurt and pain in our lives. Sometimes it's not our fault that we got hurt. It's because someone else was standing too close to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and invited that spirit into their life. And they had certain actions that came out of that that impacted our lives and we got hurt by it. So sin hurts people. It hurts people, whether it hurts someone else. You, you cause this hurt and pain because of your action or whether it is something that we as people do ourselves, we do it to ourselves, we get involved in something we should not get involved in and it brings hurt and it brings pain into our life. 
But if you do not believe in the activity of spirits that surround us, it's easy to dismiss and pass off these temptations as just human frailties, as just incidents, as just something of no great import. It's easy to dismiss it that way and to think that I don't really have a problem. But the problem is, with besetting sins, we continue to have a problem because spirits are attached to sins. They're attached to them. The Bible speaks about something that I call the blood stain. Remember Cain? He slew Abel, his brother. God was drawn to that place. What did God say to Cain? Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. We see this over and over again throughout the Old Testament, this idea of a bloodstain. In fact, Moses had a law dealing with this bloodstain. And the law was that if someone had been killed in an area, that the city nearest to the place where the death occurred, if they could not find the murderer, they were supposed to take an ox out and slay the ox and decapitate it and behead it. And the elders of the city were supposed to lay their hand on an ox and say, I don't know anything about the death of this person. I'm innocent of this death because I don't know anything about it. What was that all about? It was about dealing with something called the blood stain. There's a scripture in Psalms that says, their stain is not our stain. Their stain is not our stain. That word stain comes from the Hebrew word moot, moot, which means a smirch, a mark, a stain, a blot. So when a sin is committed, there is a stain, right? It's a stain. We know that the only thing that can remove the stain of sin is the blood of Christ. It's an amazing thing that blood, which stains, can remove a stain. But in this case, when we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, the moot of our past, or the, not the moot, the moom, the word is moom, the moom or stain of our past is covered over with another stain, the blood of Jesus, so that the old stain can't be seen anymore. Can you say thank God for that? Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. The blood of Jesus Christ is the most powerful antidote against sin. It's something that Satan, that demons fear. They fear and tremble at the mention of the name because they were defeated at Calvary by the, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they know, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, they say, but who are you? They know the blood of Jesus Christ. We have this most powerful antidote available to us. If you get a cold, you go to the medicine cabinet and you take a cold tablet or a draught of some kind, amen, to try to help you to deal with the symptoms of the cold. If you have a headache, you go for an aspirin or a Tylenol or an ibuprofen and you're trying to deal with the symptoms of the pain. If you have a sin problem, you go to Calvary and you plead the blood, hallelujah, amen, to wash away the stain, the moon. It's replaced by the blood of Christ. But when we have besetting sins, there are things that we don't let go of. It re 
causes an endless cycle of sin, conviction, and repentance. Sin, conviction, and repentance. It is a self-defeating cycle. It is one that limits us tremendously from the potential to be and do everything that Christ would have us to do. The Bible says if our heart condemn us, we won't get an answer to our prayer. And the point of the cyclical cycle of sin that Satan's trying to cause to happen to us is to keep us limited by the act of condemnation, which he's very good at. And so he wants to limit our spiritual ability. We cannot rise above what we cannot believe is possible. But God has such great, greater intention and destiny for his people. He is trying to get us to that place of potential spiritual power that nothing can stand in our way, nothing can hinder us, nothing can stop us, that we carry the favor of God with us everywhere we go, day and night, and that the power of God can be so strong in our lives. Amen. Because we intentionally exercise spiritual domination over temptation and over evil spirits that surround us. So spirits are around us. They come and they go. If you have ever had a personal encounter with a demon, you know the reality of it. You know the fear that comes with it. You've seen it. You've felt it. You know it. If you've ever seen angels, you know the glory and the majesty and the power and the redemption of it. If you can remember the moment that you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and were baptized in Jesus' name and you felt washed and clean, and newborn and felt that wonderful peace come over your soul. You interacted with God in a powerful way. Hallelujah. There's a podcast that I like to listen to. It's called The Graylian Report, and it talks about a lot of these things, paranormal things that people experience all over the world. And to me, the mystery and, and, and the beauty of all of these experiencers is the ultimate confirmation of everything we believe spiritually be true in the Bible. But they can't see it. They cannot see it because they think that everything in the Bible is supernatural and we don't go there. The supernatural is akin to the superstitious and it's mythology and we can't believe it. And so they have a replacement word. They have a replacement word for the supernatural, and it is called the paranormal. Anybody hear that word? Paranormal? There's all kind of reality TV shows. I don't watch them, but there's ghost whispers and ghost hunters and investigators and paranormal researchers and people all involved in it, all this kind of stuff. Paranormal is the word they use to replace the word for supernatural, but paranormal experiences are supernatural experiences. And Michael Hanks talks about wishing to find what he calls the grand unification theory of the paranormal. Much like Einstein sought for the grand unification theory of physics, he's looking for the grand unification theory of the paranormal. Well, I have that. 
I, I, I want to write a book on it. I'm, I'm attempting to gather research so I can maybe this thing slows down out here and I can get my life back. I, can, I want to be able to write a book about what is the grand unification theory of the paranormal. It is back to the Bible. Everything, everything that they claim that they see are not aliens from outer space, but spiritual entities that are demonic. All of this stuff that they see, it's de demons, it's demonic activity, and it's been around the world forever. And the ancients used to see these kinds of things, half men and half beast, and drew them and painted them and made statues and images of them. And because they were supernatural, bowed down and worshipped them and made gods and deities of them. All of that stuff arises from real, true human experiences with the supernatural, which they're now calling the paranormal. There should be no mystery to us. We are people in, deeply involved in supernatural things. All the other churches that do not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit do not have a supernatural connection. God is, is far removed from them as science is removed from them. It's just untouchable and unreachable. But for us spirit-filled people, God is brought very close. Didn't you feel him today as we worshiped? That powerful energy of the Holy Spirit that flowed into here. Hallelujah. The wonderful thing that we felt. Well, people who dabble in the occult also feel spiritual energy. They liken it to vibrations, electrical pulses, electromagnet activity. It's very similar to the Holy Spirit, but does not have the good feeling of the Holy Spirit, but brings with it a fear, inspires fear. So the, the role of temptation in the causation of evil is a profound one. And it opens the gates to spiritual invitations. One paranormal researcher claims that uh, the power of music and drugs in reaching across into the spirit realm, that music is an integral force. I can remember in the 1970s when uh, there was much concern about rock music and uh, when, especially when it began to cross over into the occult in the late 70s and the early 80s. And uh, people came out like Alice Cooper and, uh, and many of the metal bands and so forth, at, uh, ACDC, Highway to Hell, and many of they, they, this rock music and, and the people who were, uh, in my generation, were using drugs and listening to this music were having demonic experiences I will never forget back in the early 80s when the church first started, before we even owned building or property. One of our young men, 19 years of age, his name was Sean. He had an experience and he was, he was our drummer, our first church drummer. And he was into Rush, the band called Rush, big time. And he had an album, Rush 2012. He had this album and uh, he got sick. He came home from work sick one day with a fever and he went to bed and the rest of the family was up in the house having supper. He went to bed early. And uh, he had an experience while he was in bed. In this fevered state, he became cataleptic. He became paralyzed. A spirit entered the room. And it was this horrible face. And it kept flashing like this, big to small, big to small, big to small. And it was speaking to him, turn the radio on, turn your radio on. And his radio station was set to his favorite rock station. And, and the spirit kept saying, turn the music on, turn the radio on. And then it said, kill yourself, kill yourself. 
you're going to die tonight. You're going to die tonight. And he was paralyzed, and he couldn't move. And he was frightened. And so when he finally was able to speak and to call out on Jesus and call out on God, the thing broke, and it fled the room. Well, he ran upstairs, and he told his parents. They immediately called me on the phone. And uh, so I began to talk and to ask questions. And, and uh, I said to him, I said, look, Sean, I said, uh, I bet you that that spirit, because it wanted you to have, it wanted to get you to listen to that music, has something to do with your, uh, with your album, with your music collection. So I said, go through your albums and start looking. And I'll bet you, you'll find the picture of that thing that attacked you. And sure enough, he found it on the Rush, Rush 2012 vinyl album. He found a small picture that was included somewhere on that album, and in it was the face of the thing that was attacking him, trying to get him to commit suicide. So he went out and started burning albums in the backyard and get, getting rid of uh, any, anything that would connect or to bring him into that, into that place. We know from the Old Testament that the prophets of old used music to bring them into a state, a mood, a state of mind, to entertain the spirit and presence of God so the spirit of prophecy could come upon them. They used music, as we do use music. We know that gospel music has a powerful antidote to depression. Yeah. It's a powerful antidote to oppression, depression, and all other kinds of attacks that can come to you. Hallelujah. So music, for the good or the evil, has powerful influence. Now, the Bible says that Jesus said he would give us power to tread upon serpents and upon scorpions and over all the power of the enemy so that nothing should by any means be able to hurt you. Now, I'm beginning to believe that some of these descriptions that are found in the Bible... Leviathan in the Old Testament, dragons in the Old Testament, unicorn in the Old Testament, and serpents and scorpions may indeed actually refer to visionary, spiritual, supernatural, paranormal experiences, whatever you want to call it, that people have of spirits that represent themselves in various forms as certain types of entities. These monsters of human imagination are not just in our imagination or in our mind, but they come about as a result of things people experienced and saw. It's a well-known fact. People that used heavy drugs, mind-bending drugs, LSD and others, if they continued to use those drugs, they would see demons and feel darkness and feel evil and feel demonic presences. So these gateway drugs are gateway drugs into the supernatural world. Drugs and alcohol, tobacco, the use of tobacco, all of these things have to do uh, with spirit and spirit possession and spiritual control over people's lives. And so when Christians forsake the use of things that bind them and control them, they separate themselves from spiritual entities that have power in their physical body over their mind and over their soul and over their spirit. 
So that is why it is important that we free ourselves from things that cause us to be bound and addicted because addictions have a powerful spiritual component to them. They do. And when you play with them and toy with them, you are keeping the gate ajar and making place for the devil and giving him space and room in your life. And your spiritual power will be bound. Your prayers will be hindered. And your spiritual life will be limited. The position and power that you have in Christ will be limited. Oh, we need to just give God a hand praise right now. If Jesus promises power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, it meant spiritual serpents and scorpions, not literal serpents and scorpions, but spiritual ones. And so these entities appear in many forms. Satan, we know, is a serpent in the Bible. He's seen many times as both a serpent and as a dragon. And this dragon spirit has always been around. This serpent dragon spirit has always been been around. It's in all ancient uh, uh, religions that people, pagan religions that people have had in the past. It's a part of all of that. In fact, the emblem for doctor, for medicine, is a double serpent, as you know, a double serpent. And it has to do with drugs and the serpent spirit. It comes directly out of the Greek uh, mythology and the school of medicine, where they actually had a hospital that people went to and spent the night in that was filled with snakes. Asclepius, the god of serpents, the snake god. And the people went there to be cured, and the hospital was filled with snakes. It's an amazing thing. Snakes bit the Israelites, and Moses was instructed to make a brazen serpent and lift it up on a rod or a pole, and that all who were bitten by the snake, the poisonous snake that saw that serpent, the Nehushtim, would be cured and would be free. God reversed the power of the serpent by this emblem. But this became a problem for the Israelites. This is long before the kingdom was established. And the Nehushtim, that serpent, was still there. And it had broken in two pieces. And the people were now worshiping it. And when the Babylonians came, they captured it and took it away. That's a little known aspect of Hebrew theology. They had the Ark of the Covenant, but they had the Nehushtim too. And they were worshiping it, the God of the serpents. It was being misused in a pagan way. And it was bringing a curse of God against them. I'm telling you, church, you've got to get rid of your addictions. You've got to take it seriously that these besetting sins that get a hold of your life are something that cause demons to stay around you and mess with you and bother you. And one of the great byproducts of demonic activity is depression. Depression is the opposite of what the Holy Spirit promises to bring our lives. It's the opposite. Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. The Bible said literally, the literal interpretation of that was he leapt for joy. Jesus danced around. Why? Because he saw Satan 
fall from heaven like lightning. And he knew that there would be power given to the people of God to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing could be able to hurt us and we should have power. The demons would be subject to us and we could rejoice over that, but even more so that our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's give God a hand praise right now. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. I need to wrap this up and bring it to a conclusion. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> There's only one thing that divides Americans more than politics in our day and age, and it's sports. <laughs> people get very serious about it, but for most people, I suspect that today's Super Bowl contest is going to bring little joy. If you're a Yankees fan or a Cowboys fan, uh, it isn't going to do much for you. If you're an Eagles fan, I still doubt it's going to do much for you. You have joy that they're in the Super Bowl, but there's a winner in the Super Bowl. There's a winner already. And if you're a Patriots fan, you know that uh, winning is the most important thing in all the world, and it doesn't matter how you get there to do it. <laughs> Well, <laughs> praise God. So I need to wrap this thing up. <laughs> Our past controls us in so many ways. We are controlled by the events of our past in strong ways, spiritually controlled bound and hindered by things that took place in our past. Our past hurt and pain, the things that hurt us, control us. The things that we did wrong in our past, they're there to control us, to hinder us, and to limit us. The fear that comes out of the hurt and the wrong things that we did, the fear is there to control us, to limit us, and to hinder us, and to hound us. The actions, the defeats, all of these things bring control in our life. And control leads to dependency issues. When we are strongly bound and controlled, we become codependent. And so many people who have been described as codependent in some way, it is a direct correlation to these things from the past that control their lives. And they're bound. They can't get free. They can't change their life because they can't change their thinking. And their thinking is a product of everything that went on in their past. Hallelujah. But Jesus promised us something different. He promised us freedom from that. He said, you're going to have power to walk on these things. You're going to walk on them, and none of them can hurt you. All of these demonically, uh, uh, demonic activities and demonic influences and demonic control factors and besetting sins and weights and things that limit us and bound us, I'm giving you power over them. Hallelujah. 
We were working our way up to this point in previous sermons, and I dealt very heavily in a recent message about the power of forgiveness. And so I bring this back to that to, to, to bring us to this conclusion that forgiveness is the most powerful medicine known to humans against pain, against hurt, against past wrongs, against past events, against things that were done to you or things that you did yourself. Forgiveness is the pathway to freedom from all of that. If we don't forgive those that hurt us, we can't get forgiveness for ourselves. Amen. And if we don't forgive ourselves, we're not accepting the forgiveness that God is providing us. Hallelujah. Amen. But if we can find the way and the means to forgive, to forgive all of it, the past, to put it behind us, to say it's no more, it's dead, it's gone, it's another life, it's not me, I'm walking away from it. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Forgiveness. We have to do it. We have to forgive those that hurt us. And we have to forgive ourselves for hurting others so that we can walk in the freedom that Jesus meant us to be because he wants to start us over and make us like little Christ in this world and wash us clean of all that and take the record away. I'm removing the record. I'm removing the moon. I'm taking the state away and giving you a new start. You can be a new person. You do not have to deal with these things or be limited. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. I need, I need to be hurt. I need to be wounded. I need to be a victim. Because you see, I've been used to getting medication by eliciting sympathy from others. And, and, and I want to I be codependent because, uh, I, I, because I can bind others to me because of the, bind, the bondage I have in my life. Because I'm bound and can't find a way to be free. My misery loves company. And I'm going to bind other people to me. And I'm going to bind them in a codependent relationship. And not let them be free either. And evil gets passed on and gets passed on. Get up and walk away from it. In Jesus' name. Get up and walk away from it. Quit taking that demonic medicine. And and, 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 and just drowning yourself in depression. Refuse depression. Realize that depression is a di direct demonic attack. It's a direct activity of Satan. And I'm not going to have it in my mind, in my heart. Because I have hope of the power that is in me. It's greater than the power of this world. Not going to have it. Depression recognizes that something is wrong over which you have no power. But if Jesus has all power, and if you are surrendered to him in your life, why is there something still wrong? It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be the case. You don't have to take that pill of depression and allow Satan to contain and continue to control your life. You don't have to take it. You do not have to take it. That vision Sister Rose had of the saints 
was about removing the, the garment of heaviness in a worship service to put on the spirit of praise. That's what that vision meant. Removing the garment of heaviness to put on the spirit of praise. Heaviness, that's depression. That's depression. And all the evil that comes with it. And all the pain and all the hurt that comes with it. It's all because of all of that. It's all because of all the past. It's all because of you surrendering to something over which you think you do not have control. But if Jesus is God and owns the cattle on a thousand hills... Amen. And his will and intent is to do us good and not harm. And if we can understand, this is powerful, the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, but thine be done. Some might argue Jesus was feeling pretty depressed at that moment. He prayed in great anxiety. The Bible said he sweat, as it were, drops of blood fell from him. He was under so much pressure. So much pressure. Dark day ahead of him. An evil thing about to happen to him. Not my will, but thine be done. You see, we cannot get where we need to be spiritually because we're still fighting for control. And we're fighting for control because things control us. And we don't recognize that they control us. And so we become codependent, and codependent people try to control their life and the circumstances around them, the people around them. Our codependency has to do with the hurt and the pain from our past for which we have not sought relief or found a way to get it. Even though we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have not grown to understand. We're still dealing with and we're still fighting addictions that bind us and hinder, hinder us and limit us and hinder our vision and stop us from being able to be what God wants us to be because we haven't achieved absolute and total surrender. The Lord's Prayer brings us surrender to God. It brings us dependence upon God. And it brings us faith in God. Hallelujah. Oh, what peace there is to know. Amen. That no matter what happens in our life, the Lord has arranged all of that for His intent and purposes and that no evil thing will take us, overtake us over which there is not a way of escape. This thing may be an evil thing that's happened to me, but my Bible says God will not put on me more than I can bear, but will with every temptation provide a way of escape. If I believe that, if I believe my soul is in his hands, if I'm absolutely selling out and surrender to the Lord, I'm not saying no to God about anything. Whatever it is that he wants me to do, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. There's no argument here. I'm doing it. I'm going to, when you speak to me, Lord, about something I'm doing wrong, immediately I'm going to respond and I'm going to listen and I'm going to work at correcting it. It's only when we reach that place of total surrender to the Lord, amen, that Absolute surrender to God and to His will brings us absolute power to live life. Let's stand together. I've got to close. Hallelujah. 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 We can't eat from the Lord, drink from the Lord's cup and the cup of devils. We can't eat at the Lord's table and the table of devils. The Bible tells us that. But that's the problem for so many of us. That we are kept in a place spiritually that is static, that is not growing, 
that is limited, that is hindered, because we're still trying to eat from the table of devils when we come to church. We come to church with the idea that I'll go so far, Lord, I'll listen to so much, I will absorb so much, and I will only do so much, but this rest I'm going to keep for myself. When we do that, we keep Satan present in our lives. We stay bound to our habits and addictions, which have spiritual connections to demonic forces in our life that keep us surrounded and bound, limited and hindered. This message today is one of the most profound messages I've ever preached. And it comes out of the strongest personal revelation that I have in my walk with God. Hallelujah. That when you sell out in total surrender to God, nothing challenges you. You fear nothing. You're limited by nothing. You believe all things are possible. And you renounce depression and all that goes with it because it is self-defeating and destructive and demonic. You renounce it. You walk away from it. And you cultivate a new mind. Let this mind be in me which was in Christ Jesus. I'm cultivating a new mind. Hallelujah. When we, when we have reached that point of absolute surrender to God, we have absolute power in our life. And it's power over our past. It's power over our pains, our hurts, our wrongs, our fears, even over death itself. You know you get there when death has no fear for you. When you do not fear it. You do not fear it. If you can face your death without fear, that is the ultimate power to tread on serpents and scorpions. It's the one thing that Satan has in his corner, power of death. But when you don't fear it at all because you are surrendered to the Lord and you know for sure when you die, you're going to be with him in eternity. Death is not an end of anything, but it is the beginning of everything. And that is power. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to open this altar up this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Church, God wants you to arise and to live a powerful, victorious life. He wants, you to, he wants you to get victory over the things that hinder you and bind you. He wants you to, to renounce all those things that are controlling you and holding you back from being what God wants you to be. Hallelujah. God is wanting us to. Amen. This altar is open. Anybody want to come? Can come and pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord, we need you today, God, I pray. Touch us, Lord, in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise.